Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 20. And before we do that, let's pray and ask that God would have mercy on us. Father, we're so grateful, we're so thankful for your word, we're thankful for this morning. We're grateful that you are our God and we are your people and you've called us to yourself in Christ and in him we have life and we have it to the fullest. I'm thankful, Father, that we have your word and that you can teach, instruct, and correct us and rebuke us and, and shape us and change us. Father, we're desperate this morning to know you, to draw near to you, to hear from you. Father, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we're lost. So this morning, work in us through your word. Glorify yourself, and may we see Jesus better than we saw him before, know him better than we knew him before, and become like him. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. So Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 17. Let's just read the text together this morning. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when, they saw their, when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. What we see here this morning... What we see here is that when we know Jesus, when we know who he is and what he's capable of, we become desperate to draw near to him, and we become desperate to draw others to him, take others to him. Luke has been retelling for us, as we've been going through this, the story after story of Jesus and what he's like, of his goodness, of his power. That's what we see and we've seen so far in these first five chapters. We've seen Jesus speak with power. Cast out demons, heal leprosy, rebuke a fever with a single word. We've seen him fill fishing nets with a thought. He didn't even speak that time, did he? And the text says that the news of him, the news of Jesus and his goodness and power, it was spreading throughout the whole region. And hordes and hordes of people were drawing near to him. And it says that he laid his hands on them and healed all of them. We're just encountering this amazing man, Jesus, doing wonderful and amazing things for everybody who came to him. Every sickness, every demon was being taken care of. And the people were stunned in amazement. And this is recorded. You know why this is recorded? It's recorded for us today. For us today to see and understand that Jesus truly is the Son of God. That Jesus truly is the one who's come from heaven to do something which no one has ever done before, nor ever will do. We are witnessing on the pages of Scripture here the Savior of the world who's unlike any other. There is no one else, no other religion, 
No other power in the existence of the world who has delivered like this. Can you think of anyone? Just think of this for a moment. Can you think of anyone or anything who's done anything like this? Any power, any religion? Since the fall, the world has suffered innumerable kinds of diseases, horrific sicknesses, all kinds of demon possession, all kinds of awful things. And Jesus is here delivering. Do you know what? Jesus is even here today delivering. People are being delivered in marvelous ways. This just isn't some ancient story some 2,000 years ago. Wasn't that neat? Jesus, this powerful, powerful man way back then. Do you realize even today, Jesus is delivering people. I stand here before you as one who can testify to you that has been delivered. I've been delivered from guilt, from shame, from sin. I've been delivered from hopeless, meaningless life. I've been delivered from purposeless life. I've been delivered in innumerable ways. And even today, Jesus meets me and ministers to me. I can personally testify to you that Jesus is alive and well today and powerful in working people's lives. In fact, I think in so many ways what Jesus has delivered me from is even greater than what he delivers this man from here in these pages. A man who is paralyzed, made well. That's great. But you know what? I was a man lost and living in darkness, shame, guilt, and sin ready to take my life. And Jesus delivered me from that. Do you realize in our lives there's much suffering and sorrow and difficulty? And on the outside, our bodies decay and we, we end up in the grave. But what's most important is that how we're doing on the inside because on the inside is where we feel and where we experience, isn't it? It's where we love. It's where we have peace. It's where we have joy. And when Jesus heals that part of you, That is the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all. So when we go through this passage, this isn't isn't some distant, far-off Jesus of the past. Jesus is alive today doing great miracles, renewing, refreshing, cleansing, reviving, and bringing back to life dead people who are lost. But nonetheless, there's some incredible things we learn from this particular passage this morning. Because one of the first things we have to understand is that knowledge makes you desperate. Especially here, knowledge of Jesus begins to make you desperate. Once you know who he is, Jesus has been healing people, casting out demons, performing miracles like having the fish jump into nets. And now here in verse 17, we have the beginning of another story. A story of Jesus doing something marvelous. These guys who bring, G- bring their paralyzed friend or family member, whoever he was, we don't know that from the text, to Jesus. Do you know what they've gained? They've gained some knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. You know what they've heard? Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth, he is healing everybody's sicknesses. He's raising people from the dead. He's casting out demons. He's doing unbelievable things. So as these people, these guys, these family members, or whoever they are, they, they, they hear these words and they're thinking, they're looking at their friend who's paralyzed. Wow. Wow, Jesus could heal them. 
And as they, as they gain this knowledge and this understanding of who Jesus is, do you know what starts to well up in them? A desperation to get their friend to Jesus. They're going to get him to him. So back in those days, they don't have wheelchairs. The guy who's paralyzed, he lays on his bed, and I don't know exactly, it's probably more like a mat, and they probably grab the four corners, or maybe they have six guys, depending on how heavy this person is, and they carry the person around. But these guys have knowledge, they have understanding that Jesus does these great things, and so they're going to get their friend to him. This is what, this is what knowledge of Jesus does. When people come to know and understand their sickness, and they come to understand Jesus' greatness, they come to understand that God illumines their minds, and they begin to see and they gain knowledge of who Jesus is and what he can do, we start to get desperate. we got to get there, and we got to get others to him. I remember finding out in the early 90s, I kind of uh, discovered this diet, the zone diet. A friend of mine introduced me to this diet, and I remember reading it. The more knowledge I gained of this diet, the more I got pumped and excited about it. So I started implementing it and doing it. Next thing you know, I have more energy. I've got, I'm, I'm starting more focused. It's helping me out in all kinds of ways. I'm, I'm starting to lose some fat, gain some muscle, do all those things we all want to do, right, when it comes to dieting. And so I really, I really started liking this. And so I started studying it more. And as the more I studied, the more I learned about it, the more I knew about it. Guess what? The more excited about it, the more desperate I got to show, tell others about it. I became like this little evangelist for the zone diet. Well, talk to everybody about it. Why? Because it's having an impact on my life. The more I understood, the more I realized, the more I knew about it and the effects on me, the more I wanted to tell others about it. You can become kind of like a little weirdo sometimes, I think, when we, we do this. And and why is that? Because sometimes it's not just facts either. When the Bible uses the word knowledge, it talks about knowledge, it it often refers to much more than just having a fact in your head. It's knowing intimately, experiencing it. That's kind of knowledge we're talking about here. And here, these people know something that Jesus is doing, and what do they want to do? They want to get their friend to him. Because the more of the goodness and power that you know of Jesus and the more of the desperation of your own situation you understand, the more that creates a heightened desperation to get to Jesus. And you know what? Today, I don't know where you're at. But it's very easy also for us to grow apathetic and cold. Have you ever had your heart apathetic and cold? Almost completely indifferent. Like rah 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 Jesus, you know, just more of this. It's that can happen. So you sit here today and you hear Jesus. Yeah, we hear Jesus, Jesus all the time. We hear this stuff. My heart is about as cold as as a stone. That can happen. You know, what do we need to do to, to come alive again? To understand? Maybe you've forgotten where we've come from. What Jesus is actually like. What He's done for us. How do we get desperate like these guys so that we want to get to Jesus and get others to Jesus because we know what Jesus can do? We know what he's like. In so many ways, you know, it's unless we spend time, unless we take time to really get to know Jesus, meditate on who he is and what he's like, and really start to grow in our knowledge and our understanding. So he starts to grow in power and in goodness. As he grows in power and in goodness in our own minds and hearts, it starts to cultivate even a greater desperation in our hearts to draw near to him and have others 
draw near to him. But perhaps you're not experiencing the goodness and the power of Jesus. Maybe you never have. I don't know. I don't know where you're at today. But if you don't know Jesus today as your strength, if you don't know Jesus today as your salvation, as your hope, your joy, your ever-present help in times of trouble, your wise counselor, your peace with God, your sacrificial lamb, your redeemer, and on and on we could go. If you don't know him like that, you'll never be desperate to continue to draw near to him and get others to him. It's never going to happen. Your personal knowledge, my personal knowledge of Jesus will make us just like these guys, desperate to get to him. And you know what else it does? It doesn't just make us desperate. It also makes us bold and creative. Because that's, ha- that's what happens. When you become desperate, you start to become bold and creative. If you look at verse 18, as it starts telling the story, and Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. They were desperate, right? They want to get them to him. And now, all of a sudden, something happens here. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd... What do they do? They say, ah, shucks, let's go home. No. They got creative. They went up on the roof and let him down through the roof, the tiles on the roof before Jesus. You can almost imagine what this has been like. We don't get the color of the situation. But imagine for a moment. They see the crowds. They see Jesus. He's in the house and he's teaching people and everybody's pressing in. Perhaps there's even a lineup. These guys are saying, we've got to get, we've got to get George here to Jesus. So maybe they put their heads together and said, what are we going to do? And maybe one of the bright ones said, hey guys, I have an idea. Listen, hey Ezekiel, do you still have that rope? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, good. How about we do this? Let's go around back. We know that there's stairs up the back onto the roof. If we go around back, get up on the roof, and then we can open up the tiles in the roof, we can lower down George to get them to Jesus, and then we'll be like first in line, and surely he's got to do something for him. That's a great idea, Jimmy. Let's do it. That is perfect. That's probably more what's going on here. In the text, all we get are the plain facts, right? But there's peoples, there's personalities, there's desperation here. they got to get this guy to, to Jesus. And as a result, there's an obstacle. He's in the house, it's stuffed full, there's people everywhere, there's nowhere to get to him, but we're going to figure out a way. And so they become bold and creative. And this is often what happens when we get desperate. What if I was going to ask you this morning to come up within a week, by the end of this week, you have to come up with $100,000? You're probably like, are you kidding me? I can't even pay the phone bill. $100,000? That's a joke. And immediately your mind shuts down, right? You don't think of anything other than that's impossible. But let's change the scenario a little bit. You've got this little four-year-old girl who's the sparkle in your eye. You delight in her, but she's got a disease. And she only has a week to live. However, there's a known antidote And if she could get this injection, it would save her life. However, one other problem costs $100,000. 
What do you do? Could you come up with it? Your mind is in a completely different place now. Now you're thinking solutions, answers. You're trying to figure it out. And why? You're desperate. It changes everything, doesn't it? You become desperate, and all of a sudden, you start to become bold and creative. I bet you you get a little bit of boldness. you got a week to go, and you might do it. You get a little bit creative because you, you, you need to make this happen. I don't care if I didn't pay the phone bill. We're going to make this happen. That's what, that's what happens when we get desperate. We get bold, and we get creative. And I think so often... We aren't bold and we aren't creative. Why? We're not desperate. We just don't really see the point. If we have little desire to get people to Jesus or little desire for us to get to Jesus, we don't become bold, we don't become creative. But the question I guess we have to ask is once again, so how do we get desperate? And one of the things that I think scares me personally more than anything is I find myself not desperate, therefore not bold nor creative. Not desperate because, guess what? My life is busy. Is your life busy? You know, by the time you get around to taking care of the household, getting kids, run them here, run them there, Take care of what needs to be taken care of in the house. Do your work. You know, you, you get it all done. By the time I get the sermon ready, by the time I get everything done, I don't really have a lot of time for much anything else. And if, I, if, I, if I'm busy running around all the time, do you know what it does towards my affections towards Jesus? It, they grow cold. They grow indifferent. And I guarantee you, most of us in this room, if not all of us, are super busy with work and with family and just getting through the schedules of the day, right? Life is busy. And we live in an age that's even scarier because we have um, work demands, work demands that are way beyond even normal. And then we have commutes, and then we have time away from family. And then, what do you, and then you know, just, just think of it. By the time you get home, by the time you do dinner, and by the time you get the kids to bed, what are you ready for? But to hit the couch, throw your head back, and take a, take a deep breath. You're pretty much spent. So if you look at our lives and you realize, you know what, we're never, that, that's the recipe to cause our souls to dwindle and almost die. We will never be desperate for Jesus running the rat race. We have got to somehow. We've got to somehow ignite passion in our hearts again by taking time. If we don't have time to think about the Lord, to to read his word, to meditate upon it, to pray, to spend time dwelling on who he is, we'll never be like these men. We'll never get desperate for Jesus, and our hearts will grow cold. You know, you think of bold and creative faith. Um, you know, that, that's only going to happen as we, as I've said so repeated throughout, as we get desperate. 
I think of the Apostle Paul. Think of what he does here. Think of, think of where he's at. Think of his heart. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. Listen to Paul. Listen to his passion. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those under the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by some means win, save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What's Paul's passion? He's passionate about getting people to Jesus. And what happens as a result of that? He becomes creative and bold. And he does things. He says, I'm willing to do for the weak to become weak, for the Jew to become like a Jew, for the Gentile to become like a Gentile. I'm willing to do these things. And why? What's his passion? That he might win some people, get some people to Jesus. So what's our problem? Well, again, I think we need to wrestle with this a bit. We need to take time and think about this. Is that my heart? Is my heart like these guys who brought this paralytic to Jesus? If not, what changes do I need to make in my life? What changes so that I become desperate for Jesus? Because here's something we have to realize as well is that these guys, because they're bold and creative and desperate for Jesus, you know what? Their faith gets rewarded. Look at what happens in verse 20. And when he saw, when he, this is referring to Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, what? Man, your sins are forgiven you. When he saw their faith, it says. When he saw their faith. And what did he, how did he see their faith? He saw their faith through their bold and creative actions. He saw that they knew, that they believed that Jesus was their only hope. And what happened as a result? Jesus rewarded it. Jesus blessed it. The paralyzed man was healed. Was healed. And I can only imagine what he did. He probably jumps up. (laughs) Can you imagine being paralyzed your whole life and then all of a sudden you're healed? You can walk, you can feel your legs. Overwhelmed with joy. Maybe even give Jesus a big hug. I don't know. It doesn't say. But I can guarantee you there was a party at his house that night. They were excited. Jesus rewarded their faith, and he healed their friend or family member, whoever he was. And they were excited. Recently, I watched again uh, the movie Faith Like Potatoes, and I've referred to this before, this movie before. But if you haven't seen it, it is a great movie. And it, and it's, you know, the guy, the main actor in here, or the main character in the story, which it's a true story, by the way. It's about Angus Buchan and his, the story of his life. He has this bold and creative faith, and because of it, he was greatly rewarded. South Africa at the time was experiencing the worst drought that they could remember in history. And Angus called the Christians together in the community in the surrounding area to pray. That's, we need to pray. We need to seek God. We're in trouble. And the reason he did that is because he was confident in God's power and goodness 
And he knew that if his people would come together, if they would repent of their sins, if they would cry out to their God, that God would hear and answer and heal their land. He was confident of that. So out of this faith, because they came together in their prayer and they're seeking the Lord, Angus did something that was incredibly bold. He decided to plant potatoes. Now, why is that incredibly bold? Well, apparently, in the, I'm no farmer, but it, in the movie, it indicates that potatoes require more water than most other vegetables. If you're going to grow a crop, and if you know there's a drought coming, you, you wouldn't choose potatoes. It's like one of the worst. He's talking to the banker, and, the, and, he, and this is like the biggest bet of all, because you're going to lose the farm, Angus, because... This is a huge gamble, but Angus says, no, I'm planting potatoes because God's going to hear our cry. He's going to hear our cry. And you know what? You know what they experienced? I bet you're kind of expecting, oh, yeah, here come the rain clouds and the rain comes and God answers, right? No. No rain clouds. None. Rain didn't come whatsoever. In fact, it, it just kept on getting hotter, just excruciating heat. So the exact opposite. Now all the naysayers and the people against Angus, you know, the chuckling, thinking this guy's uh, off his rocker. But it didn't deter Angus. And I'm sure, you know, it doesn't get into the nuance of what's going on inside, but he's nervous. He's probably afraid. But he keeps on believing that God's going to do it. And people want to say, why don't you check, Angus? Why don't you check to see what's happening under the dirt? No, we're not checking. We're waiting till harvest time. Harvest time comes. Him and his right-hand man are out there, and they start digging up the dirt. And you know what they find? The biggest potatoes <laughs> that they've ever seen. They just go crazy. They're dancing and lying on the ground and throwing dirt in their face and they were dancing for joy. God had heard them. And yet God had did something that they didn't expect. He didn't bring the rain. He just instead just grew the potatoes. That's the God we serve. Man, I watched that and think, you know what? I would never be like that. I would never do that. And the reason I would never do that is because I would like to hedge my bets. I like it safe. I like it conservative. I'm thinking, okay, if we're going to do this and I'm going to plant something, I'd be doing some research. What vegetable grows the best in drought? Because I'd be concerned to protect even the reputation of God. Yeah. And so whatever vegetable that was, that's, what I, that's probably what I would end up planting. But not, not Angus. It's like, wow, wow. He trusted God, this bold and creative faith, and God rewarded it. He knew that his God was good, his God was powerful, and his God would hear their prayers. And you know what happens when we, read, we watch a movie like that? Have you ever read a biography of a Christian who's strong in faith? And you start to walk with them and near them, and you realize, wow. Look at how God shows up. Look at what God does as these people trust them, as they, as they are full, fully confident that the God they serve can hear and can deliver and can save and can provide because he's promised to. 
and they take him at his word. But you know, not me often. What do I do? I play it safe. I hedge my bets. I'm, you know, and, and if you're at all like me, a lot of times don't you find that fear causes you to obey, almost obey it rather than God. I'm fearful, and I don't like being fearful, and I don't want to walk into a situation in which I'm fearful, and so I do the thing that's, that, that's, that's easiest or easier or doesn't, can maybe somehow take away the fear. Yet if we live like this, we never really do see God show up in big ways. You know, I guarantee you, Angus was fearful in a situation like that. Fear is a natural response to an unknown situation. We hate walking into unknowns, right? Where we don't know. However, those who've walked by faith have always pressed forward, even in the face of fear, knowing that, the, that God has promised and his, and his promises are sure and that he's true and that God won't lie. And they probably tell themselves that a lot. I want to be like these guys. I want to be like Angus Buchan. I want to have a bold faith. So what do we do? Well, we've got to get to know Jesus. We've got to know his goodness. We've got to know his power. We've got to know our own weakness. Do you know, how well do you know yourself? Does your apathy bother you? Does where you're at in life bother you? You know, even knowing ourselves, knowing Jesus should cause us to draw toward him. And I pray that God would reveal to me and would reveal to you and help us to understand who we are and our weakness and who Jesus is in his greatness. And as we understand and know Jesus, we become more and more desperate from Him, for him. As we grow in our understanding and knowledge of ourselves, our own weakness, his goodness and strength, we become more desperate from him, of him. And as we become desperate of him, desperate for him, we start to become bold and creative. And we start to long to draw near to him. And as we know his goodness, we want to get others to him. How desperate are you to get friends and family to Jesus? Are you just like these guys? Or does it not really cross your mind? Because I'm doing all right. They appear to be doing all right. Let's just carry on. Right? If I could encourage you to do anything, it'd be today. Take time to think about, meditate on who Jesus is. Read the Gospel of Luke. Meditate on who he is and who you are. And understand what he's capable of. Fall in love again with Jesus. So that he becomes this burning passion that you're desperate for and desperate to get others to. And may all of our apathy bother us and stir us to run to Jesus. Amen. Father, we're thankful and grateful that you have given us Jesus.
and in him we have life and have it to the fullest. I ask that you would stir our hearts, that you would create in us a hunger and a desire, that we would be tired and frustrated even with where we're at, and that we would seek Jesus. Father, may we make it a priority of ours to get to know Jesus, understand him, draw near to him, and experience his goodness and pleasure. Father, may all of us here be renewed, be revived, be refreshed so that we would become desperate for Jesus and desperate to get others to him. Amen.